Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. So have you been to the gas pump lately or gone grocery shopping? Well, like you, I'm suffering from sticker shock at the cost of goods today. According to a Bank of America survey, 67% of employees say the cost of living is outpacing growth in their salary and wages. Well, no kidding. Everything from eggs and car rentals to a night out at a restaurant, well, it's all significantly more expensive than before the pandemic. The average family is spending about $700 more per month on the same goods and services relative to two years ago. Those figures are from Moody's Analytics. So what does that have to do with Ronald Reagan, you ask? Well, he was devoted to the idea that with government out of the way, the quality of life for Americans can improve. So 40 years ago, he delivered a radio address on the quality of life in America, which you'll agree is significantly different from today. In the second part of this podcast, we'll listen to a gem of a radio address entitled Looking Out a Window. When he ponders a bit about life, this was originally delivered in 1978. But let's get started in October 1983, when the benefits of the president's economic reforms were really beginning to take effect. Let's listen. My fellow Americans, I know I court trouble when I dispute experts who specialize in spotting storm clouds and preaching doom and gloom. But at the risk of being the skunk that invades their garden party, I must warn them, some very good news is sneaking up on you. The quality of American life is improving again. Quality of life, that's a term often used but seldom defined. Certainly our standard of living is part of it, and one good measure of that is purchasing power. Just a few years ago, double-digit inflation was bleeding our purchasing power. Record price increases, interest rates, and taxation punished the thrifty, impoverished the needy, and discouraged entrepreneurs. When an economy goes haywire, confidence is destroyed. Well, today, the tables have been turned. Double-digit inflation is gone and confidence is coming back. In 1980, the U.S. ranked only 10th among 20 industrial nations in per capita income. By the end of 1982, we'd climbed all the way up to third place. Our stronger dollar has increased purchasing power. Real wages are up, and inflation is down to 2.6%. Sometimes when we shop, we don't realize how much inflation has dropped because prices are still going up, but they're going up much more slowly than before. If food prices had kept rising as fast the last two years as the two years before we took office, a loaf of bread would cost seven cents more than it does today. A half gallon of milk, 18 cents more, a pound of hamburger, 60 cents more, and a gallon of gas, 97 cents more. The prime interest rate has been cut nearly in half, so costs of business, mortgage, education, and car loans have dropped. The federal income tax on a typical working family is $700 less than if our tax program had not been passed. With parents, students, entrepreneurs, workers, and consumers feeling more secure, opportunities for jobs are expanding. Our workforce in September rose by nearly 400,000 to 101.9 million, the highest level in American history, and the trend will continue. Quality of life is not just more jobs, it's also better jobs. And we're seeing better opportunities opening up for all Americans. Women, for example, filled more than half of all the new jobs in managerial, professional, and technical fields between 1980 and 1982. 
The number of women-owned businesses is growing five times faster than men's. The future looks brighter. To get a peek at what tomorrow's jobs and products may be, look at the venture capital industry. This is where high-powered capital is invested, and much of the technological revolution is taking place. During the first nine months of 1983, the venture industry raised about $2.5 billion, nearly three times more than in all of 1980. The General Accounting Office has already estimated that previous venture investments of some $209 million is the sample of 72 companies directly generated 130,000 jobs during the decade of the 70s. Well, if 209 million of venture capital generated 130,000 jobs in 10 years, imagine how many jobs two and a half billion will create during the next year. And like interest that compounds growth and opportunities create more growth and more opportunities. Capital spending by business, a key source of higher productivity and new jobs, helped propel the economy forward in the third quarter. Much of the increase in spending went for products of high technology like computers and word processors. We're witnessing an industrial renaissance, and this is only Act One. It's being nourished by incentives from lower tax rates, starting with the 1978 capital gains tax reduction, passed incidentally over the objections of the last administration, and followed by our own more sweeping tax cut program in 1981. Our program to create opportunity and bring big government under control, the subsequent decline in inflation and interest rates, and prospects for robust growth have all led to another basic change. America's confidence in their institutions is turning up. After nearly two decades of decline, a 1982 survey by the University of Michigan found people more likely to say they trusted the government to do what is right. Looking beyond the economy, we see more evidence that the quality of life is improving. Life expectancy reached a record high last year, climbing to 74.5 years. Infant mortality declined to an all-time low, with only 11.2 deaths per 1,000 live births, and the number of divorces dropped for the first time since 1962. Serious crime dropped 3%, the first measurable decline since 1977. Quality education, an American tradition but one neglected for years, will be restored thanks to leadership in Washington and vigorous action by your families at the grassroots. Good things are happening in America. Confidence is returning. Our quality of life is improving because your voices, voices of common sense, are finally getting through. Believe me, it wasn't Washington experts who said government is too big, taxes are too high, criminals are coddled, education's basics are neglected, and values of family and faith are being undermined. That was your message. You made reforms possible. With your help, we'll make even more progress because I'll be the first to admit much more progress needs to be made. We're on a new road for America, a far better road filled with hope and opportunities. Our critics may never be satisfied with anything we do, but I can only say those who created the worst economic mess in post-war history should be the last people crying wolf 1,000 days into this administration when so many trends that were headed the wrong way are headed back in the right direction. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. More wisdom from Ronald Reagan right after this brief message. Stay tuned. It's truly a beautiful radio address. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. 
We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the story. After leaving Sacramento in 1975 and before entering the Oval Office in 1981, Ronald Reagan traveled across the country speaking to various groups, not always political, to clarify, to deliver his message. He spent many, many nights in hotel rooms, on airplanes, taxis, away from home. This was written on one of those nights. Let's listen. It's nightfall in a strange town a long way from home. I'm watching the lights come on from my hotel room window on the 35th floor. I'll be right back. I'm afraid you're in for a little bit of philosophizing, if you don't mind. Some of these broadcasts I must draft while I'm out on the road traveling on what I call the mashed potato circuit. A little while after I write them, for example, I'll be speaking to a group of good people in a banquet hall. Right now, however, I'm looking down on a busy city at rush hour. The streets below are twin ribbons of sparkling red and white. Tail lights on the cars moving away from my vantage point provide the red and the headlights of those coming toward me the white. It's logical to assume all or most are homeward bound at the end of a day's work. I wonder why some social engineer hasn't tried to get them to trade homes. The traffic is equally heavy in both directions, so if they all lived in the end of town where they worked, it'd save a lot of travel time. But better forget I said that, and don't even think it or some bureaucrat will try to do it. I wonder, though, about the people in those cars, who they are, what they do, what they're thinking about as they head for the warmth of home and family. Come to think of it, I've met them. Oh, maybe not those particular individuals, but still I feel I know them. Some social planners refer to them as the masses, which only proves they don't know them. I've been privileged to meet people all over this land in the special kind of way you meet them when you're campaigning. They are not the masses, or as the elitists would have it, the common man. They're very uncommon. Individuals, each with his or her own hopes and dreams, plans and problems, and the kind of quiet courage that makes this whole country run better than just about any other place on earth. By now, thinking of their homecoming, I'm counting how many more hotel room windows I'll be looking out of before I'm in the rush hour traffic heading home. And yes, I'm feeling a little envious of the people in those cars down below. It seems I've said a thousand goodbyes, each one harder than the one before. Someone very wise once wrote that if we were all told one day that the end was coming, that we were living our last day, every road, every street, and all the telephone lines would be jammed with people trying to reach someone to whom we wanted simply to say, I love you. But why wait for such a final day and take the chance of not getting there in time? Speaking of time, I'll have to stop now. Hello, operator. I'd like to make a long-distance call. This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By 
podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Thank you.